Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, our guest is Jeremy Jones, one of the best big mountain riders to ever do it. Jeremy, of course, is also the founder of Jones Snowboards, but before he started a snowboard company, Jeremy was thinking long and hard about snowboard design. So in this conversation, Jeremy and I are talking about the history and the evolution of snowboard design, and we also talk specifically about the evolution of some Jones snowboard designs as well. I also ask Jeremy about the prototyping process at Jones, and we dive into the weeds about things like shapes and flex patterns and new materials and weight. And by the end of this conversation, you are going to have a very clear idea, I think, about how Jones snowboards get designed and refined. And I should also note that Jeremy was out here in Crested Butte this past fall for a Blister Speaker Series event at Western Colorado University. And in that conversation, we talk a lot more about Jeremy's work with Protect Our Winters, and we touch on a number of other topics outside of snowboard design. So we will include a link to that now Blister podcast episode, because if you haven't checked that out, I think it is a great companion piece to this conversation where we are more specifically focused on design. So yeah, you'll find a link to that Blister podcast episode in the show notes of this episode. You can also check out the video of the conversation on the Blister YouTube channel. So we'll include a link to both of those things. Now, this is probably also a very good time to remind people that at our upcoming Blister Summit, we are going to have solid boards and split boards available for demoing, and we are going to be having snowboard athletes and snowboard designers in the mix in our evening panel sessions. So we will also include a link in the show notes of this episode to our Blister Summit registration and information form. We provide a ton of information in those links, and so do check that out. And the dates for this upcoming summit are February 12th through the 16th, and that's right here in Mount Crested Butte. This episode of Gear 30 is presented by our Blister Recommended Shop, Pulse Custom Boot Lab that has existing locations in Revy and Banff and a new location in Collingwood, Ontario. And I think it's fair to say that Pulse is really pushing forward the entire art and science of boot fitting through the use of proprietary software, 3D scanning technology, Italian-crafted custom injection liners, 3D-printed insoles, and more. So if you are in need of a good insole or just have the sense that you could probably improve your boot fit, well, you should head into Pulse. So head on over to pulsebootlab.com and then schedule an appointment and see how Pulse can help your boot situation out. And now, let's talk about some snowboard design with some parallels to ski design with Jeremy Jones. Here we go. 
Well, Jeremy, how are you today and where are you today? Uh, I am doing very well, thanks. And I am at my home in Truckee, California. And you hopped on this call. Your face was stuffed with food. <laughs> I I got the sense you had maybe just come back from the mountains. Um, I actually, I got home late last night from the Tetons. And mm. um, so I've been kind of doing some house maintenance. We got a bunch of snow and we have a bunch more coming. And so <laughs> digging out of work emails. And so, yeah, kind of not one of a, a rare day uh, off that is nice. But uh, yeah, looking at the forecast, it's I don't do not see another uh, day off in the immediate future. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a nice thing. Good trip to the Tetons. Tetons were incredible. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's the one time a year where my brothers and our kids uh, all get together on the mountain and just we stayed at the hostel, which is right at the base of the mountain and is kind of largely unchanged since the it was built in the 60s. So it's like going back in time. Uh, and so, yeah, just a special week of uh, snow vacation. Nice. Nice. Well, the last time that we were uh, having some conversations, uh, at least the public conversations, those were focused about some pretty big macro topics, uh, climate change and some of the work that Protect Our Winners was doing and elections and things like that. And um, some of our private conversations were a bit more focused on, you know, nerding out on gear and uh, today we get to take some of those conversations a bit more public. And uh, so I am looking forward to diving into the details on snowboard design today uh, with you and a uh, pr pretty good person to do it, I'd say. <laughs> well, likewise, I think we share a passion on all things product. And uh, so look forward to I love talking about design and product and all things ski and snowboarding. Yeah. So I've also been reading recently your book, The Art of Shraupenism, and maybe this should have been obvious to me, but it, it still surprised me a little bit. You say in the book that you started Jones Snowboards because, quote, the split boards I needed to achieve my new goals didn't exist. I had to design my own. So I figured we might start with that piece of history and talk a little bit about why it was specifically the split board that had you thinking, maybe maybe I do actually start my own company. Yeah, it's funny. The two things that I never wanted to do was say, direct my own snowboard film and start my own snowboard company. <laughs> and I think it was around 2009, um, 2010, where I did both of those things. One was um, <laughs> setting out to do this foot-powered snowboard film called Deeper. And as I got along that journey, it was this huge pivot. My career was doing great. I uh, the, the year prior to that, I was in five snowboard films. One was a foot-powered film that really, um, I remember in the at the end of the year, I was like, that was hands down the highlight of my winter. And it was just represented this, all this open space on many levels and meaning that 
the areas where you could get to with a machine or or say within a couple hour hike could become really crowded. I found myself in these similar finding the edge of these boundaries and it was obvious that if I want to, um, I, I love that feeling of seeing new terrain for the first time and and to keep doing that, if I could figure out how to live, to go walk all day, day after day, deep into the mountains and, and camp out there, then I now had the crowds are no longer an issue, finding new terrain, no longer an issue. Uh, so started down that path with deeper and then it was clear we were dialed at cutting our boards, but the boards would get really soft when you cut them. And so we're buckling the nose a bunch and... At that time, Rosignol had gone through some hard times. And so I started talking for the first, I was with Rosignol for 19 years and um, thankfully got to do a lot of product development. When I left Rosignol, I think I had my name on over 20 boards. But anyway, as I talked to these different companies, uh, some had some good interest because of the peak of my career, but I kept getting the same thing. We're not spending any money on uh, new free ride shapes and we're sure as hell not doing split boards. And at that time, McConkie was the spatula had come out and I, and um, the rocker revolution had kind of started the, the genie was out of the bottle and skiing and Shane and I were talking a bunch and, um, and I had all these things that I, I just saw this huge open space and snowboarding and McConkie was one of the only people because I asked some people that I advise that advised me on business and stuff. I'm like, I'm thinking of starting my snowboard company. Oh, it's 2008. It was the financial crisis. And they're like, you are crazy. Take the check. And McConkie's going, you're crazy. Dude, there's you. We've been talking about this for over a year. You got to do it. So uh, when I met up with the Nideckers, I knew that my knowledge and passion and and where I wanted to go would meet their five generations of manufacturing. And when that happened, it would it actually ended up being a really easy decision. So I think that's really helpful. Bigger picture context for the question. Now I want you to get more specific. You're talking about cutting your own boards to go skin up some mountains. And you're talking about, it's quite easy to imagine that those boards then are just flexing a lot beneath you. Um, Let me ask you this. Sometimes there is an ongoing question about like, the better the skier or the the better the snowboarder, well, y'all can kind of just go make anything work. And it's okay. But when you are talking about wildly consequential lines, like the type you were riding, to what extent you're like, screw that whole thing. I can kind of make any board work. Like I need this gear to be as dialed as humanly possible for this to not seem beyond insane. Like where were you at on that front? Yeah, I mean, when it came to my normal free ride board, I actually just came out with a board at Rosignol right after I left, and and it had rocker and uh, you know it's this rocker camber mix, very much. Uh, you can see the ethos of that in the Jones flagship today. So I definitely did not have to make any compromises on solid boards, but mm-hmm. it was. Um, with the split boards and it was a combination of the boards and then 
the the manner in which the bindings were put on the boards, you really kind of rock, you were up high and you you'd rock back and forth. And so when you would be on a line, uh, you, you would have to tell yourself like, you're on a split board. Your board is not going to uh-huh. do what you think it's going to do. Hmm. And at that, like pretty, my goal going foot powered is like, I want to ride the best line I can ride in the world. And so it took a little bit of time, but I started putting myself on these big, huge spine walls. And then you're worried, is the nose going to buckle on me or what have you? And I um, had all this, you know, really kind of loose bindings. And But at that era, Spark came along and that was the first, say, modern split board binding that I got on. And that was this, that was a huge step forward in the, uh, in split boarding. And then pretty shortly after that, I ran into the, the Closter brothers and started helping them with the Karakoram bindings. And I, it's that combination of boards and the bindings that collectively rose it up. Cause if you had the boards without the bindings, you'd only be halfway there where we are today. And, but surprisingly it happened fast where I no longer, I mean, I guess one thing I was primarily just split boarding. So I got really used to the equipment, but yep. pretty quickly it was, um, standing on the, you know, some of the heaviest lines of my life on a split board and not thinking about my snowboard. That's pretty good. And you're saying that happened pretty quickly. Yeah, I would say that happened um, in about two years. Yeah, like the first year at Deeper, I was on um, kind of garage splits. And by Alaska on the spring of the second year, I was on my third prototype at Jones and uh, had a dialed split. So if you are liking where we are, say, I'm going to fast forward a bit now to- yeah current times if you're liking where we are in terms of bindings what are you guys thinking about on the split side what is the like this is where we think we've got an opportunity to make an advancement or are you like honestly yeah we're experimenting around but we we're real happy with where splits are today well i mean in some sense i can look at a at a 5 year old split and go, I could get on that board and ride pretty damn good. Um, and within a run or, you know, get really comfortable to do some really serious snowboarding on it. But as we look at where we are today, there's no question we've had, we've now we've been on this incremental kind of rising up small steps that collectively make a big deal. And so we have that on the split, but then equally is um, just snowboard shapes in general is uh, we continue to evolve at. So it's, yes, our boards, we're connecting them really well right now. You're definitely not um, have these loose connections. That problem's been solved. But from a materials perspective, there's still, we still continue to have breakthroughs on that. And it's wild. You... You get in this scenario, or, or I, this is speaking from myself, where you you kind of have this timeline of progression where you, at times, it bumps up and you're like, Hold, so Rocker would be this huge bump up in the timeline. And then you have a couple of years where you're finessing that, that new knowledge is gained, and then you start getting, learning how to finesse it and get the most out of that new knowledge. 
And then you kind of, that progression slows down a little bit and then, you know, maybe it's a material thing, maybe it's a shape thing and you get another bump. And these, these kind of progression bumps, I mean, in said times, if you, I, I'm not a historian on skiing, but it probably, I mean, it was probably 30 years before there was a progression bump and someone went a little wider on the vocal ranger and, um, and went fat and then the rocker and in snowboarding, I think it's been more of these like six to eight years. It seems like there's new knowledge is, is gained and then mixed with material. And then you learn how to get the most out of that new knowledge and there's refinement going on. And, yep. and, um, it's exciting because that in all these surfing, snowboarding, mountain biking, I mean, we're seeing it in, in all these sports where we have these kind of accelerated moments and then refinement moments. And you're saying to, to make sure I'm tracking, you're saying that we are currently in that refinement, not revolution, but evolution. Well, yes, I, to some extent, yes. But, um, I also, um, I, I don't, I mean, I get really excited easily. So when I, I don't want to, <laughs> I want everyone to know that as I get like, holy shit, we figured something out. I mean, this might be this like 2% better or what have you, but I will say that we, we've had, we're in a really exciting time right now at Jones, um, with ironically, uh, it was, there's, Different. What's wild is you never know where inspiration or new knowledge gains are going to come from. And we made a true twin, full cambered, freestyle focused snowboard called the Tweaker. And we made that and that was something we thought about for a long time. And we got a lot of um, flack, you know, stay in your lane. What are you doing making this full, you know, park looking board, what have you. And but we had been thinking about, you know, what would it mean if we were to go into that space? And if we're going to go into that space, we want to, we're going to start from scratch. We're going to go at it with open minds. We have no preconceived notions because we haven't been into that space. The end result, we come out with this, um, this board that is so damn fun to ride. And it's a, and really what it is, is it's a lot of camber, uh, like ex- or what I would call excessive camber, but <laughs> soft camber, but soft in the right spot, soft between the feet. And mm. that goes against everything that I did making race boards back at Rosignol and in doing so and making this excessive camber, but torsionally soft. Um, and then it, these boards that have a lot of running length in a, in a short length, that's been this eye opener, uh, because we have this dual radius nose and tail to it. So what I hate about a quick nose is you'll feel it plowing, um, and crust will grab it and stuff. Uh, so at Jones, we've, I think of nose shape as I think 90% of falls, if you, drill into them start from something happen at the tip of your snowboard or your ski so Mm -hmm. we've always put an excessive amount of um micro attention to that entry point of of our snowboards and but now as we and that's led to these long noses and now with this these kind of multi-radius noses we're able to get that glide but in a shorter distance so that and that came from this twin 
Now we're bringing that stuff into a bunch of different, some of those learnings into some free ride stuff. And it's a really exciting time. Talk a little bit more about the performance gains you're getting or the performance characteristics by bringing that a new nose shape into these more free ride, I guess, more fair to call them more directional boards. Yeah. So where it really makes a difference is we have a new um, split. We'll do a limited release um, in the spring and it's called the butterfly. And I'm comfortable talking about that board and what we have going on with that board is it's a 150. So the current board, the model I'm riding is 154 and it has the um, running length of a Jones solution 169. So instantly, mm-hmm. um, the fact mm-hmm. that we're able, and I'd say 10 centimeters of that is off the nose. And so I've been on this board a bunch, just seeking out death crust, deep pow, hot pow, blower pow, da 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 da. Just and it's been this long pro. This board's been in the works for years because the other thing we do, especially with the board, this is a very niche board, and we are always going down these um, roads with no timelines. Like there's never, um, we don't have this oh my god we need to be bringing something rad next year people are going to be so bummed out like that is not how we think we do go on these journeys some of them are dead ends and a lot of them there's no end timeline or end deadline on it and then when we get it right we we you know then we bring these boards to market Hmm. i want to actually stay on that for a minute (laughs) you you have worked with some very large companies. The large companies that, you know, whose product we review at Blister, we hear this a lot from them. I think listening to you talk, I'm thinking through my head, like, I think this actually checks out. Sort of the largest companies that we work with tend to have this um, come hell or high water, we're rolling out the new thing this year and we've got the designs for 2027 kind of already in the works and um you know, we spend a lot of time in our product reviews kind of begging companies like if it ain't broke don't fix it or if you haven't clearly been able to improve on a product then please don't change it because it happens too frequently right and then all the marketing comes out and it's like yeah, we improved on the yada, 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 yada. And it's like, yeah, that's just not true. (laughs) Like it's often factually untrue. Like just put the thing on the scale, right? Certain products come out. Yeah, we made it lighter and better. It's like, it's literally heavier. (laughs) Like it's just literally heavier, you know? And so I, I like very much the idea that like, we don't simply have set up timelines We roll something out when we think it's ready. Here's the question. Is there some reason that that philosophy can't work in a really large company? I mean, I can't speak for large companies, but I can. Yeah, I I think y'all aren't that small. are you? (laughs) But we 
I mean, I, I mean, if you're thinking of a Solomon or Rosignol, um, and so I, my only thing is what Jones is and Rosignol, because I spent so much time with Rosignol. Yeah. Rosignol was you get a new mold every five years and you will get three prototypes on flex and that's it. There's no shape prototypes. To, and again, this is a while ago. And, and yeah. with that, I will say came with incredible institutional knowledge on feel. Um, and I have the utmost respect on those French companies on feel and, and the, with these skis and snowboards, like there is so much nuance on material layup and flex and things. Um, and so, you know, the, the Rosignol stuff was incredible, but it was a little bit more of say moving a barge, but, um, you know, just a slow, more predictable movement, but you know, you know, stuff's going to be great when it comes out and, I was on the lift with a buddy on a Rosignol the other day, and I, I, I'm like, I guarantee that board rides well. Like they've mm-hmm. been doing it for over a hundred years. Um, mm-hmm. And so, with Jones, we like to. Um, I mean, we do a ton of everything is on a carryover cycle, minimal. Um, we have, like, for example, we have this semi, what I would call a niche board called this Hovercraft. It's ten years unchanged. We've done some mm-hmm. material changes to it that. Again, where we were like, oh, we made it better. And generally, our material changes come when we have um, more, say, responsible materials that we can bring into it. Our mentality is buy really good stuff and have it for a long time. And and I do that with my mountain bikes. I mean, I get five years on a mountain bike and then it gets passed down the line. And I mean, my kid's riding a really nice mountain bike from... 15 years ago and i still get on it it rides great it was a top of the line bike 12 years ago it's still a kick-ass bike i may have taken us off track (laughs) when you were talking about the butterfly i was asking you about bringing in this new refined nose shape to free ride boards and was asking you to just speak a bit and you were talking about you it sounded like where you were going till i rudely interrupted you, I guess. You were saying that you're able to now have just a shorter board, be rolling with a shorter board and still getting the kind of flotation or surfiness through crust or over crud. Is this, pick? let's pick that part of it back up. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a level of like volume needs to be volume. And uh, so I'm not here to say, Oh my God, it's waist deep, and um, and now I'm setting the track through the flats on my 154 and going past the 169. Um, so I can't, uh, you know. There's a level of say uh, we call it it dims on boards as volume, so to speak, in in surfing, and so you need that. But we're able to. It is a very um, compressed shape, but it's very blunted nose and tail. So you kind of, you still get a lot of float out of the nose because it's a wide nose and it's a wider tail. And um, so there's a, there are things you can do to get more float out of shorter boards. And we've been doing that. And I guess as we get into tech, when we first came out with the Hovercraft, uh, Dimitri Milanovic, I hope I said his name the right way, uh, founder of Winterstick, he saw that board, got really excited and he got one and he 
um, he measured the the volume of that board, what we would call dims, um, and he wrote me an email back and he says, hey, this hat, this 156 has the same dims as a 172. Uh, and so that's an example of mm-hmm. compressing. Uh, but then, you know, and with Christensen, we did ridiculously wide stuff that was kind of laugh out loud wide uh, on this Storm Chaser where my go-to best bore or you know the best day of the year is a 147 and i tell that story because it's it's an example of why i hate preconceived notions i and sometimes i'm with designers that have to and as soon as they go yeah you can't do that i'm like you you're out of here yeah um and and i'm jokingly thinking in my head two years ago if you said to me Hey, it's going to be two feet deep. It's the best day of the year, and you're going to be on a 147. I'd be like, yeah, "We're bet my car we're on gonna, that." There's no we're way. We're going to fight. Yeah, we're and fight. <laughs> it's exactly what happened. And it's just I always have these moments over the years of doing this where you just preconceived notions are really dangerous. Talk a little bit about why on a board matters i mean why do we care about being able to be on a shorter board as opposed to going with a more maybe traditional length if we're talking about specifically deep conditions well I, it's not um it's a different feel so it's not like there's absolutely nothing wrong with going big i love like long board long side cut same with skis uh that thing doesn't want to turn until you're going 30 miles an hour. I mean, that's an mm. awesome feeling. And we, I've been playing around with boards and that. And cause we, I think snowboarding's gotten into this kind of compressed, tighter side cut, wider, fatter stuff. And that's a really fun, playful tool. But, you know, on the flip side, we have these longer side cut, longer boards, which I've I've been riding more and more of that right now, actually. Um, So it's the beauty. What was so unique with this Storm Chaser is it was, um, and this board has not changed since we made it. Um, We made some really subtle um, changes. But for example, I tore on that board and I can judge a good year on how many uh, days I'm on that board. And I'm currently... My touring board I had all December was a six-year-old Storm Chaser. Um, And (laughs) I love it. The board's in awesome shape and I'll be on it next year. Um, And I'll be, you know, there's no reason for me to get rid of that board. And, um, but anyways, it has this, it's really wide and it has surf rocker. And when I say surf rocker, it's the actual, it's Chris Christensen's fastest rocker for his fastest surfboards. And if you think about surfing, the difference between you catching a wave um, or even say, maybe you catch it, but you're going down the line. Um, so the difference between catching it and then making the wave all the way to the end is um, how fast your board glides. When you're skiing or snowboarding, you get off the lift, you're going to get to the bottom of the mountain. It is not nearly as critical to have free friction glide on a snowboard or a ski as it does surfing. So when we bring this surf rocker in that started with a pow surfer, um, immediately it had, it just had, it 
feels like a surfboard and it's um and that it that free friction glide is so addicting to me and the other thing it does is as you have that incredible glide is it makes low angle terrain way more fun so you have these huge storms limited opening and i'm not even going to the mountain only the 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 intermediate lifts open i'm like well i got a board for that and i grab my storm chaser and i'm noodling 10 to 20 degree stuff in in heaven we were talking a bit kind of about snowboard design back in the early 80s and kind of 80s through the early 90s. And I think it might be just worth hearing you reflect on kind of where we were back in the 80s and and hear you talk through some of the evolutions uh, in terms of design that you saw and were paying attention to. And we, we were bouncing around chronologically like a Quentin Tarantino movie, I guess. But uh, <laughs> let, let's go back to the early 80s. Yeah. So I, as I have time to pause on it, I think that I have, as far as snowboarding goes, I potentially was born in the perfect year in the sense of nine years old on a Burton Backhill that got at the um, basement of a general store. So wood board, um, water ski hoofs. And then they had a trade-in program where each year you could bring your board in and then pay money and get upgraded. Um, And so then the next year, Burton Performer, high backs with the kind of fast X buckle, like a backpack strap. Uh, Still no metal edges, but P-Tex year after that, metal edges, um bindings got a little better year after that burton cruiser now it's allowed on the mountain um Mm -hmm. and then that was 87 and then fast forward to what i would say is um well i was fortunate to then get on um sims boards at that time which Mm. they they were kind of ahead of the the game for a year or two and um Funny story on that, I was on a Sim switchblade uh, and then uh, it was called a Sims half pipe. And I rode that board for four years um, and I could ride that thing today. And so we go and um, fast forward, I don't know, five years ago. So 25 years. And we, I have this board, the Mind Expander, and I had drawn it and I had, we've been talking about it forever, playing around with it forever. And so anyways, the thing comes out and um, I'm in love with it and riding it a bunch. And then I see this picture of me and my cousin, Adam Hoster, and we're both holding our Sims half pipes. And I look at the Sims half pipe and I'm like, I made a fucking Sims half pipe. <laughs> <laughs> and it is just, and that's where people are like, oh, you took this or that or that. It's like, dude, we are all finessing these things and, and you can have the, and I do it when we're designing uh, prototyping, we do one thing at a time and we'll do four. So we'll have four boards where we're just um, messing with glass four boards. We're just, you know, we make a decision on that and then we go to flex then we go to shape. We go to that, but each one of those branches is uh, you are A, B, C, or D, you are picking a totally different road to go down. So my point is, um, I have a lot of respect for all board designers out there. And it 
you know, just because something might look similar from far away when it's on your feet, it is, you know, there's so much at play. Mm, totally. Sorry, tangent number 12. No, but. <laughs> no. <laughs> but anyways, to finish that, 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 that evolution, 80, the winter of 82 to 83 to fast forward to 1991. And you're basically on an, on equipment that I could, Give me a couple of runs on it and I could do some really high end snowboarding on. So, yes, there's obviously been a bunch of evolution, but really, really functional equipment uh, came along. Uh, I mean, you went from this stand up sledding to highly functional equipment in like a seven year period. And I'm so grateful that I was able to be a part of that. It's funny. I actually, <laughs> rather odd, but kind of awesome. The editor of Golf Digest, who I met kind of randomly some years ago. I've like never golfed in my life. But, uh, and so frankly, cause I'm apparently not open-minded. I was like, who the hell is this guy? And really, and now he's so smart and one of my favorite people. And, but he, he's writing an article for Golf Digest about like, um, this exact topic where we are with respect to golf equipment and development and product design. And he was kind of asking for my take on where we are with product design and price increases. And anyway, it got me reflecting on, I very much feel the way you do when you say like, I could grab a board. In my case, I'm going to say I could grab some skis from 2007, 2008 that I literally with certain products be just as happy going to ski that tomorrow as a bunch of new stuff. I do not feel this way about mountain bikes. Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> okay, okay. So I, I actually, it's just kind of interesting. Now, if we're talking about touring gear, I'm not sure that I'd want to be back in touring boots from 10 years ago. I was thinking specifically about inbounds ski gear. I could probably be, be pretty happy. Mountain bike stuff, I'd say no. Those there, it feels like we have been in a pretty significant revolution in terms of geometry or shapes, you know, and, you know, materials and all all the rest. But um, I just wanted to check that with you. So I was like, I guess what we're saying is maybe on the snowboard side, if you found the right board or the right skis, we could both have a great time. I'm less sure about that, especially if we're going 10 years ago on a mountain bike and go ride some kind of gnarly stuff. You agree. I totally agree with that. Um, and I would say similar with, with touring that, you know, that's as far as where we were 10 years ago with touring equipment to where we are today, that's been greatly improved. Um, and then I, and as you said, it's like you find the needles and the haystacks that were ahead of their time and da, yeah. da, da. Um, and I guess maybe what's going on hopefully is, collectively the baselines come up in the yes. last 10 years. So you don't have to be a wizard to find the perfect ski on the rack where, yeah, there was one, there was one ski 10 years ago that, that made you really happy. And maybe now it's like there's 20 skis that would work. So when you're talking about all the different prototyping you're doing, I want to know, now we're back to a, this is you personally. Do you tend to find that you are pickiest about shape or flex pattern. I'm just going to give you yeah. those two for the moment. 
God, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, those are the two keys to everything right there. So I would, I would say I am equally picky. Um, a really important thing that I have to be super cognizant of um, is that they, when I'm making a board, I think about obviously what the end use is for, but also what the, um, who that customer is. And so I make equipment that I want to be too soft for me or I want to be too stiff for me because you get into that dreaded zone where all your boards over time end up being flex seven or eight. Um, And so, and then when I bring in, I love bringing in different people of, of varying abilities to get on a board. And some people I'm giving them a board and I'm like, if they don't come back and tell me this board is too soft, then we have a problem. Like I want uh-huh. expecting certain negative feedback on a board. And that's mostly flex based stuff um, on that feedback. I think that given where we are in history, and I love the way you put it, like 10 years ago, there maybe was that one outlier product that was kind of the needle in the haystack. Now, maybe through a lot of stealing, right? Like people are like, okay, yeah, that worked pretty well. That helps us figure out specifically like rocker shapes. I mean, 10, 12 years ago, rocker shapes in ski were all over the damn place. And some worked really well and some were freaking awful. Yeah, And I think today rocker shapes are largely companies have kind of figured that out. And maybe given that I find myself now I'm not testing protos of four different, slightly different versions of the same product. But when we get on all these products that, as you said, from afar, they basically all look the same, man, the flex pattern stuff makes them just radically different and and go literally this season i've been on stuff where i'm like i hate this so much and feel like i'm gonna like i can't ski i don't know how to ski and i'm gonna die today on the mountain to then being on a product where it's like it it works and it feels to me and then as a reviewer and tester you got to figure out how much of this is my own riding style or peculiarities versus no i think i've i'm pretty confident this is what most people would say about this but that difference in finding that dialed flex pattern versus the off pattern is not subtle not at all and but it's in that's where the real art comes to in in it all because it's um that mix of flex pattern and material layup and um and that's fiberglass that's um you know wood core profile uh, all those things play such a role in how they they all intermingle together to get this end result and the reality is is um sometimes it just comes together perfectly and you get this magic board and that's when we're just like don't touch that thing we're not touching that thing for a long time. We just, we found, you know, we found lightning in a bottle on that board um, and we try to learn from it. And, and that's what I also mean is maybe we do learn like a, oh, it's biax on top, triax down below, da, 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 da. And then we, now we're like, oh, we love that. And now we're going to start playing with that on these other boards. And so everything gets elevated because you found lightning in a bottle on one model um, and or, you know, something you worked with and and you kind of follow that and, and everything gets raised up. On the flip side of this, 
here's a legitimate question. I, I'm curious. <laughs> the what first you one of the day. All right. This no. first one. Yeah, the other, <laughs> other ones were all canned. Um, I have a theory because we get on certain products around here, and it often is a company saying like, "We've tweaked this thing, and now, of course, it's." better greater ever than ever has no weaknesses whatsoever <laughs> and uh and i'm like no you have in a number of cases it seems like well it does come back to flex pattern either took it too stiff or too soft but i would argue it's usually too stiff and i have come to think and no ski manufacturer has ever said yes that is what happened not one of them i sometimes think this was a factory mistake and when you're talking about maybe, you know, the stiffness coming from the thickness of the core, I mean, a millimeter difference is going to have a significant effect in terms of that flex pattern, how soft or how stiff it is. Let's just, you know, hypothetically, can you imagine that, yeah, that happens because we have to go build these things and there's manufacturing processes in the last. And so while I've yet to get any manufacturer to actually admit that this has happened, would you at least be willing to say hypothetically, yeah, seems obvious? Yeah, I would, I would say it absolutely happens. There is tolerances in the boards that come out and we try to make them as narrow as possible. But it's, you know, you want to go in, um, if you're a real serious buyer and there's 10 boards sitting there I, and you're like, oh my, I just, I want the stiffest one I can find. Huh. You flex 10 of those. You're, pre I mean, you gotta, it's gonna be really nuanced, but you, mm -hmm. I bet you, you come out of that and you start going, the soft one goes to the right, the stiff one goes there, and you start moving these boards around if you're really, and then it's a huge thing too is what part of the board, the stiffness, depending at the tip and the middle and the back. And, and so that core profile, um, playing with that is a factor, but then you can also, utilize uh different stringers and wood densities and stuff to to stiffen so it's not a hundred percent off the core but yeah i think that um there's no question there's variation in and skis and an example i was talking to darren rolfs recently about this very thing and he's like we would go and i'd make Guy, I mean, he was saying 30 downhill skis. Mm -hmm. And so they are in their race room with the best guys they got. Mm -hmm. They got the best machines and they are trying to make 30 of identical race skis. And they come out and, uh, you know, and you start with a microscope flexing and feeling these different skis, uh, the bases and you find one that really works and like for darren um he had the same downhill ski for six years and they kept trying to change that um and replace that and then i want to say over time you know i mean they literally you get um you hit that sweet spot and so that is absolutely a factor hmm. this is why on our reviews we try to always specify the year like the yeah. vintage you know like we do this with wine 
you know, we're used to that in the wine world. It's like, oh, this was this harvest this season. And I'm like, it that absolutely rings true when it comes to getting on these products and especially products that are carrying the same name for some amount of time. And like you've said, with the hovercraft, there are some subtle, perhaps, changes in the materials when you find that there might be a more responsible material. And I'm all for that stuff. Um, but it's interesting when, you know, our job is kind of first and foremost to just talk about the performance of these things. And it's like, man, it's um, that wine is not the exact same year in and year out. Yeah. And it's uh, I mean, I think it's it's wild how um it's complicated stuff. It's just the only way there. I mean, it's very yeah. scientific. For example, when we um, switched to this bioresin, I mean, that was so many years in the making. And it was one of those where we had to put up um, a huge financial incentive because that's what holds the, the skis or snowboard together. And to just to test properly new resins, you have to flush all the lines. And so it's this, um, you know, it takes a couple hours just to be able to prep the system properly so that then you can test a new resin. And so it's just an example of how nuanced these uh, products are. This Monday, I'm riding Crested Butte with my managing editor, Lou Kappa. And snowboarder gets on the chairlift next to us and I look down and he's riding an ultra flagship and I don't know this guy. So we get talking and, uh, you know, his name is Justin. I asked him how he likes his board and he's like, it's good. Might feel a little bit softer to me than the Jones flagship. But, uh, and so we're talking a bit more and he said he's owned, I think he said he owned three mountain twins prior to his ultra flagship. And so I said, we were going to be talking. I was like, you got any questions for Jeremy? And he said, ask him about supply chain stuff. How are we doing today? And I was like, well, that's a pretty relevant question. So Justin, thanks for that one. Yeah. So one, um, I guess, how long does it take? What lift tower do you get? How's your skis? How do you like your skis? I mean, I... (laughs) Is that like first minute on the lift, 30 oh, yeah. seconds? Oh, yeah. yeah, it's within 30 to 60 seconds. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, two, that's um, really talk about nuanced stuff. Um, we are, because the ultra flagship is stiffer than the normal flagship. So I, I don't know if he had got found a really huh. stiff flagship or really soft ultra, but that's, um, huh. that's a take wild statement. Um, but, uh, <laughs> thanks for the support from him. And then yeah. as far as supply chain goes, I don't know if that's reference to COVID backlog or what that, you know, exactly where, what he means by that. I think so. I think so many of us got accustomed to just hearing, that every industry was having major issues with supply chain over these past several years. Maybe from your point of view, if you feel like that's actually sorting itself out or if we're still kind of in the thick of it. Yeah. I think that we are, I mean, far past the craziness of um, COVID where, you know, I mean, there was just no, and different people had different experiences, but, and nobody was immune to any of the challenges, but 
that level of challenge seems to be um, out of, you know, we're, we're past that, but no, it's still an issue. And I guess the way that we have combated it is starting manufacturing um, bulk production on, we, we have a good idea on our main boards, the numbers we're going to do. So we start months in advance and we're definitely not the only people doing that. Um, and so that's where, I think by and large, just speaking to snowboard shops, um, shipments and stuff seem they, you know, weren't back to pre COVID, but in a much more workable space. One board I definitely wanted to ask you about is the project X. I hadn't seen a $1,700 board before. And so I was like, let me, let me talk to you about this. What's going on? Yeah, so incredibly niche board. I mean, we make um, like a hundred of these a year or very small amounts. Really, that is our area where we get to try new manufacturing processes that are really time you know and time intensive to make, like a real niche, complicated board layup stuff that we can play with um, that ideally that stuff uh, over time will make it into boards down the way. And you've been doing a Project X type board for how long? Um, Solid six years. So we call it the Project Mm. X because Xavier Nidecker, who is the board engineer and just a whiz, I mean, he was running a factory at 16 years old. I'm like, this is you need that's his pro model where we're like you because he he is always um playing with new manufacturing processes and and um different things of that nature and so to have one board in the line really labor intensive um with the most cutting edge materials and stuff that um is a has been really helpful where we learn that stuff and and ideally you know bring some of those materials or practices uh in the line but it might be four or five years um later that that stuff comes yep yeah it's quite cool actually i want to maybe go back a little bit to our talk of vintages you know when it comes to wine do you have any kind of philosophy on when you get to continue to call a board the same name versus when there's been too radical of a change or update to a product and you're like, you know, so say for example, okay, we just can't call this the flagship anymore. It's now we've decided to take it in a direction that's too different. And so it doesn't get to continue with that name. Thoughts on this? Yeah, we don't. Um, we really try to innovate from within the line and build these pillars in the line. So an example would be we have an aviator, uh, which is a, a high end uh, kind of pro level, you know, full, very camber dominant um, directional freestyle board, all mountain kind of, but very freestyle focus board and we did a major overhaul on that board you know all new molds you know start to finish multi-year project and we call it an aviator 2.0 we had a name we liked it and 
So as we think about innovation, um, we ideally innovate from within. And that same with the flagship, um, we didn't change that shape for eight years and none of our distributors or reps or shops wanted us to change the board. And so we went down, that was our most extensive uh, prototyping because it was like, we knew we were going to be met with resistance on why the hell did you change this board? So that was a three year, I think it was close to 60 prototype um, change. And it looks a lot different than the previous flagship. So we try to keep that, um, you know, those models are like family members to us. So we want to build within and, and are reluctant to add new models uh, and definitely never sit around going, we need a new model to spice things up. Um, it's, yeah, we'd rather build within the family. So can you say a bit more about that? The decision, I mean, that's a perfect example. I mean, you could have left the flagship exactly as it was and called the, you know, the new board, the death ship or the flaggier ship or swaggier yeah. ship or something. Like, so why? Flagship, I mean, dude, I like it. The, there you go. <laughs> Better. That's what you should name stuff, not me. <laughs> but so why do that? Is it is now now are we at the the position where it's like, well, we have a bunch of SKUs and we shouldn't have too many, and that gets confusing. But when you know it's gonna be met by resistance. Um well, I think that it's yeah, we don't we're skew sensitive, I would say. I mean, I think the as snowboard company, you have the job of um yes, you gotta make big great product, but then the other thing is equally great of a challenge is putting that customer on the perfect board for them. Nothing's more heartbreaking when a customer gets on the wrong equipment. And since we're on gear 30, I would say the single biggest mistake that I see happen is people overestimate their abilities. And so at Jones, we will do, um, we'll say, we'll have defined definitions. You know, this is an elite pro level board. There is no shortcut to being a pro level rider. So if you do not have 10 seasons, 100 days, you are not a pro rider. Um, so sorry for that tangent, no, but it drives good. me nuts because I'll have friends. I won't say their name. We a mutual friend that, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, he puts it. He's like, what board should I get? I'm like, read the descriptions. We put so much time in the descriptions. If you got any questions after that, call me back. And so reads all the He's like I read everything. I want uh, an aviator. And I'm like, what? Well, I'd never ridden with the guy. And I'm like, wow, I didn't know he was that good of a rider. I mean, it's in bold letter. This is for the <laughs> yeah. pros out there that like to hit the big park jumps. I'm like, holy shit, this guy is, um, I, I'm totally blown away. An incredibly smart guy. Might run protector winners, might not. And... Um, <laughs> And so to a year later, I finally get on uh, the chairlift with him and he's on his aviator and we get off and I'm following him down and we get back to the base and I'm back. I'm like elite, huh? <laughs> so 
That was a tangent, but back to um, be honest about your abilities. Be I honest. wasted 15 years of surfing, you know, going into the surf shop and grabbing the coolest looking board that was um, built for a pro. And so I've made that mistake. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, board names, we don't, we really are cognizant and we don't want to grow the line. Um, we only bring something if we feel like it's really bringing a totally different characteristic uh to the line and a, and a feeling that we don't have because we don't want this well you could maybe do this or maybe do that it's just hard for the shop people it's far, hard for the customer and there's we'd rather put the energy into uh uplifting existing what i models which i again think of as family members by the way, getting back to the, I remember we had, when you were out in Crested Butte, we had this conversation and I told you, one of the things we say a lot on Blister is know thyself, <laughs> like just bring it back to the Socratic maxim. Like <laughs> you can read our reviews and one of us may have loved it for some reason or hated it, hated a product for some reason, but it's like, are you us? Did that description, are are you riding in these places or something we dislike, are those like what we're saying? Does that seem relevant at all to your situation? Maybe it's perfect for you. And there's, there's always that translation that has to go into whether it's a product description of one of your boards or whether it's one of our long product reviews. It doesn't mean that the, that the, the potential buyer gets off the hook of like having to do the work of think through who am I and where do I ride and what do I like? What are my preferences or priorities? What is my ability level? And so, yeah, some, some self-honesty and, uh, and, and some self-awareness, pretty good things when, when shopping for new gear. Yeah. And then shout out to the, um, the badass skiing snowboard shops out there. I mean, yeah, those people, you go in there and they are putting so much energy into putting you in the right equipment. And there's absolutely, um, you know, there's boards that should not work for certain people. And so, yeah, know thyself. I'm going to use that. Yeah. I want to let you get going, but. We haven't talked at all about apparel, yep. which is arguably the biggest new development at Jones, right? So I don't know, maybe we do a bigger apparel conversation another time, but talk a little bit about even the decision to go into technical apparel. Yeah. I mean, it was, we definitely did not take this decision lightly. It's something that, um, when I was, had a great run at O'Neill and was really involved with clothing development there. Uh, so it felt very similar to snowboards where it's like, I got to a point where there were things that I wanted to design that I didn't see out there. Um, I was able to, or I knew I was going to go down this road eventually. So, I was had the team in place that I, you know, kind of the perfect engineer, designer, was started talking to the factories years in advance of I had really great guidance from some uh, clothing veterans on like this product, this factory. Um, started playing around, uh, you know, the goal like with snowboards is want to bring uh, new things to market. So brought a bunch of new materials to the market. Um, and, and yeah, just, it's been a, you know, it like anything, it's a, it's 
great. I like getting out of my comfort zone. Um, I guess for us, once again, we it was a four year development before we launched. So it, it's one of those no timeline on when it's going to launch. We're not launching until it's ready. It's a small line. We're really clear on like, this is awesome for crushing mountains in the spring. This is awesome for, you know, to weather the gnarliest storm of the year. Um, I think, and when it comes to the mountains, especially when you get into uphill stuff, um, but really all levels um, of whether it's a windy day, a sunny day or what have you, like nailing your clothing is really uh, a science in itself. And so once again, really trying to also give the customers the information so that they can pick the right stuff to have that incredible day. Um, and and not really, the, the optimal days are when you don't think about your clothing and you never have to totally. take a layer off, you don't have to do anything and you get a ton yeah. of comfort. And then another great example is you can see like really comfortable clothes when you're, end up you're sitting at dinner and you're still in your um you know your ski pants because you didn't you know they're so comfortable you had no reason to take them off um Hmm. and then another huge factor is just we felt like um it's an exciting time in the apparel world with there's cleaner material out there and being small um we're able to really go towards that because we don't have you know, I have nobody to answer to. We don't have other, um, you know, it's, we went very humbly and small into this space and, uh, it's, you know, it's been a great challenge, um, which is stuff that I, I like that challenge. Um, and, and we're really proud of what we've brought to market. Hmm. I completely agree with you that, man, we've been talking about sort of evolutionary steps, incremental steps, and then these big revolutions, specifically when it comes to boards. But we, I think, are on the brink of a revolution in outerwear when it comes to materials, in part because the industry has or and is coming together and saying, we're not going to use some of these materials that we've depended on for years. And it has really opened things up, I think, for innovation and people trying to find the best possible solutions from a performance point of view, durability point of view, responsible manufacturing point of view. And I'm I'm glad folks like you are going to be sort of pushing on those fronts. Yeah. I mean, that that's kind of why I started a company is to bring new things and 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 advance um you know the current idea i mean it sounds like a big claim and and i'm not saying that we're doing this but the goal is to help advance the industry uh and and i think that the customers play a role in that supporting companies that are doing really good stuff uh, the shops obviously play a role and we all play a role in it. And, um, and so that's been, it's been really rewarding experience to do that. Well, Hey, um, we can both probably continue to talk about gear for a whole lot longer, but, um, I want to let you get going. Um, good to connect and good to talk about these things and fun, uh, hearing your kind of personal history lesson, uh, you know, with boards and this gear and, and, uh, and bringing us right up into the, 
into the current and and future in terms of some stuff you guys are going to be rolling out. So um, yeah, good luck with all of it and keep doing your thing. Well, appreciate the opportunity and it is a dream come true to, to be able to, whether it's clothing or snowboards or bindings or boots to, to, I just love the creative process of developing product and um, have the, I think at the, at the root of it is just, a lot of respect for the customer, knowing that it's hard-earned money, and um, and you know we we have the opportunity to hopefully help giving them give them the best day of their life. Um, so we think of it as powerful stuff, and and just shout out to all the people out there who have taken a chance on us because there's a lot of really good product out there and and there's no greater honor than seeing a Jones jacket or snowboard out there. And we, you know, have a lot of humility towards that. And that's why we work hard to make that logo mean something. Appreciate it, man. Always good to talk and uh, let's do it again soon. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Well, it is now time for our crashes and close calls segment. And today we have a special guest, the strikingly handsome Justin Bob, because, you know, maybe not everybody knows, but J-Bob is not merely an incredible podcast producer. He's also an incredible snowboarder. And uh, J-Bob, I don't actually know what anecdote you have for us today, but um, let's hear a j-bob crash story or one of the many thousands of j-bob close call stories what do you have for us well i am a snowboarder so every time i go out i end up crashing and (laughs) having a close call of some kind wait a minute are you claiming that all snowboarders crash all the time it's a little more fun when you crash a little bit and (laughs) you stay attached it's pretty hard to lose equipment so you kind of do the tomahawk Mm-hmm. But it was pretty hard to find a story for this. Well, let me let me just start with, I've never broken a bone. I've definitely been injured. The story I'm going to talk about today actually happened when I was a teenager. So I want to say I was about 17 years old. We're doing some side country out of Ski Santa Fe, the mountain I grew up on. And mm-hmm. just picture kind of low angle, perfect, evenly spaced aspen trees, right? You can scoot out of the ski area, cruise down, hitchhike back up. So we were just doing laps on this very familiar terrain. So as we talk about often with a lot of these accidents and injuries, they happen when you aren't expecting them. Right. So pretty casual snowboarding down, come out of like a little compression around a heelside turn and stick my femur straight into an aspen tree. This is my front leg, my right femur. I'm a goofy rider. First thing, I'm like, I just snap my femur. No one's around. We're way out in the, you know, someone's going to have to hike a good ways to get us. At this point, we're still kind of like enemies with ski patrol, kind of trying to hide from them. So it's kind of funny (laughs) that I ended up becoming one, but it was like the code. You don't call ski patrol. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I look down my femur. I'm like, okay, it's still intact, but it's hurting really bad. Wasn't Mm -hmm. sure if I had fractured it. I look down at my binding and it's completely sideways. I don't know how familiar you are with binding base plates, but there's usually a whole bunch of little plastic teeth that seat the binding in. And when you screw it down, the teeth engage. And so I hit so hard that all those teeth just literally like stripped out. 
So my binding's still attached to my board, but my foot has turned parallel with the length of the board. So I have my foot turned inward, my femur's screaming at me, my other binding just broke entirely. So I only have one binding that works and it's pointing the wrong direction to get out. And it's fresh snow. The option of walking out was pretty limited. Would have taken a while. It was the end of the day, getting cold. So mostly this is a story about being prepared and learning some of these lessons. Hmm. A little bit of injury. Like I said, I haven't broken a bone. So we're good on that front. But I'm thinking, I'm like, how am I going to get out of here? I can barely use my leg. My other good leg, I can't use because the binding's broken. So I attempt to snowboard out through this powder. Buddy's gone. You know, we weren't good at keeping track of each other in those days. So I was in the back and I just start making my way out. In that, I hit another tree <laughs> with the same leg. <laughs> Sorry, that's not funny. Yeah. So dude, a double tree hit on the same leg, trying to snowboard out one foot with the foot pointing the wrong direction. So I don't know if you've ever been in true medical shock, but I think this was one of the only cases where I have been and I was cold. I got on my butt and scooted myself out with this leg. I could barely walk on about two hours later. I make it out and I was pretty cold, pretty shivery. And had I not been able to get out of there, it would have been a pretty serious situation. So a uh, lesson there is if I had a screwdriver, I would have been able to fix a lot of the problems I was having. First and foremost, I would have been able to change the binding direction back the appropriate way. That would have helped me get out. Headlamp, there, there was a whole bunch of things that I could have could have used. Also, if uh, you need help, identify that early and just call Ski Patrol or whoever you can. Start yelling. Yeah. I didn't do any of those things. I was, was too proud at that point. So... I guess we can chalk this one up to a, a close call. Didn't require any medical interventions, just some warming up and a uh, lesson learned with maybe a week or two not snowboarding from the big, huge femur bruise. Dang. So maybe just a couple things to add here. You know, we do have this new Blister Plus spot membership and this spot coverage and a few things that I think would be notable. First of all, this Blister Plus Spot membership, teenagers can get it. So in your case, you would have been covered, let's say if you had completely broken your femur or just required, you know, a visit to the emergency room to get it checked out or get CAT scans done, MRIs, whatever you might have needed. The second thing to say is that backcountry evacuations are in fact covered up to $25,000 with our Blister Plus spot coverage. Those would have been maybe two examples where, you know, this was a number of years ago, but with this Blister Plus spot coverage we have, it could have helped out someone like you in a similar situation where, you know, yeah, you should have brought a screwdriver and a headlamp and maybe, you know, kept closer contact with your riding buddies. But this is just a couple of the instances where this coverage that we've put together could have really been of help. Absolutely. And I think it it is, you know, with uh, side country and back country, this being one of the fastest growing areas of these sports, skiing, snowboarding, starting at a young age and getting the education out about kind of the basics of how to keep your buddies together, 
what resources are available and what that entails when you go off the beaten path a little bit. Maybe some scenarios so you can kind of think through how best to handle them when they do happen because or else you end up learning lessons the hard way. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, folks, um, check out our Blister Plus Spot membership. We have all the details about coverage and who is covered. It is good for anybody anywhere in the world for a number of activities that are stated there, including snowboarding, split boarding, skiing, backcountry skiing, mountain biking, running, climbing, snowmobiling, etc., etc. So we will include a link to this Blister Plus Spot membership in the show notes of this episode. Check it out. Uh, I think from J. Bob's story, it's not too hard to imagine how very quickly medical bills could have started to rack up and a backcountry evacuation was a real probability in this case. Yep. Exactly. All right. Well, hey, before I let you go, J-Bob, let's also knock out a what we're celebrating segment. I've got an easy one today. I've currently got an athletic brewing beverage in my hand because I still have a workout coming tonight. But today, Thursday, January 5th in Crested Butte, we popped open all of our terrain. So the T-bars are spinning And we had a great day out with the team uh, on the North Face and skiing around High Lift. And uh, it was a gorgeous bluebird day. And so we are fully open, back on the steeps. Very excited. That is what I'm celebrating. Awesome. I can't wait to get up there for the summit too. I know, dude. Summit. Uh, I guess we've told the people, but you will be uh, out at the summit with us as and i think i've told the people your plan is to sleep on my deck uh it's a very j-bob thing to do and we'll also remind people we've got snowboarding and split boarding at the summit this year so very excited about that and very excited to have you out here j-bob yeah i'm super excited and that's what i'm celebrating going to the summit (laughs) all right all right dude well listen i will let you get going but thanks for sharing your stories We'll have to have you back because you got a lot of stories, actually. And thankfully, you've got a lot of close calls. You've got that one on lock. And uh, so I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll bring you back on for, for some other J-Bob anecdotes. Perfect. Have a good one. All right, man. You too. Talk to you soon. Well, that's it for this edition of Gear 30. I want to say thanks to Jeremy for the conversation. And do keep in mind that you can listen to or watch the Blister Speaker Series conversation that I had with Jeremy. You can find the video on the Blister website or on our YouTube channel, or you can listen to the podcast version over on our Blister podcast. And again, we'll include links for those things in the show notes of this episode. I also want to say thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode and for sharing that close call story. And By the way, after we recorded that, I was reminding J-Bob of several other Crash Course stories of his, so we're definitely going to have to have him back because dude has some stories. And also, remember, if you are a snowboarder, come on out to our Blister Summit. That is in Mount Crested Butte, Colorado, February 12th through the 16th, where we are going to have solids and splits for you to demo, and you can go touring in the CB backcountry with Irwin Guides. So you can learn more about that and all the information about the Blister Summit 
on our website. Just go to the navigation bar, but we'll also include a link to that Blister Summit registration page in the show notes of this very podcast episode. All right, that's what we got. Thanks, everybody, and we will talk to you real soon.